You can turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter... Well, we're not going to be over in Matthew first. We're eventually going to get over to Mark chapter 14. You can either open your, open your Bibles or look up on the screen. I've heard that some of the most humorous and enlightening moments in our lives center around eating and drinking. <laughs> there was an interaction between a pastor and a young boy in a certain congregation. We won't name the congregation. It seems that this particular congregation loved good fellowship. How many of you can relate to that? And uh, to facilitate that, they always serve coffee after the sermon. So one Sunday, the pastor asked a little boy if he knew why they served coffee after the sermon. The little boy answered, I think it's to get the people awake before they drive home. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, how, how easy it is for us to get a purpose misunderstood. We have been looking for the last number of, a couple of weeks, specifically at the verse of Scripture we started with, over in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whatever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. We focused on verse 25. If you have anything against anyone. The last number of weeks we've been focusing on this. We said that this is the reason why a lot of prayers aren't being answered is because we have unforgiveness. But we said we wanted to get to the cause of what it is. And use the example in your house. If you have a water leak, it doesn't do any good to patch the drywall or, or dry up the, the floor. You've got to get in there and do what? Fix, fix the cause. You've got to fix the cause. So, if we have anything against anyone, we've got to find out why that comes up. So, we came up with three causes for why this happens. Three reasons that this can go on. Having anything against anyone. The first one was pride. That sometimes pride will get into our lives. And we feel like, well... I'm not the things that I do, the things that I have going for me, the, the, the talents, the abilities are not properly recognized by other people. And because of that, we get a little, a little offended, a little upset that people are not using us the way that they should. How many know how many have ever been there before with that? We said this, pride was a quality or ability not recognized or utilized properly by others. It comes against the godly quality of, anybody remember? Humility. It comes against the godly quality of humility. Because if Satan can get you out of the place of being humble and into the place of being pride, we have another verse of Scripture that tells us that God does what to the proud? Resist. Resist. And what does He do to the humble? Grace. We get out of the grace area, we get into the resistant area. That's not a good place to be. We get into this, I don't forgive because of a distorted view of value and importance. I value myself, I value my abilities in a wrong way. I, have, I see myself as being more important than I ought to be. Now, pride was the first. It's also the easiest one to get out of. We said they were progressive. The second one was greater, was stronger. The second one was bitterness. We define bitterness as a feeling of deep and bitter anger and ill will, a resentment strong enough to justify retaliation. Bitter people always have a reason why they're going to get back at somebody. The root is a response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. A response or accusal perceived or received wrongfully. Just because this person looked at you funny, you, well, they, they think this. And we respond so. We said that no one is born bitter. But once bitterness sets in, other responses follow. You become easily angered, often offended, jealous, envy, and there are blocks, there are blocks to relationship, barriers block relationship. It comes against the godly quality of joy. Joy. Because people who are bitter, it saps the joy right out of their life. And the, the Word of God says the joy of the Lord is our... So therefore you go around being weak. And I don't forgive because of a selfish view of the situation. We got into the third area last time. We said this is the most difficult to get out of. It takes a little more time to get into. And the deeper you get in, the harder it is to get people out of this. 
I dare say it this way. For some people, it's impossible. Now, you say, well, with God, all things are possible. Yes, but this attitude will push God right out of your life. You've got to be careful with it. We entitled it, we called it this way, entitlement, and defined it to give a person the right to do or have something, qualify, allow, to give a name or title to, to confer a title of rank or honor upon. It comes from its root is something denied that I have earned or deserved. I see that something has been denied to me that I feel I have earned or that I deserve. We may not have come to this knowledge on our own, we said. But seeds may be sown by others. Sometimes people come and say, you don't deserve that. Well, you should get this. And we begin to think on that. Sometimes they do it with intent. But just because the seeds come doesn't mean that they grow. They only grow when I water them. Now, we said this. It is difficult to get into this area without having passed through at least one of the first two. It is difficult to get into an attitude of entitlement without having coming through bitterness or pride or both. You are generally going to come through one of those doors. It comes against the godly quality of, anybody remember? Just went over it last week. Grace. It comes against the godly quality of grace. It even comes against mercy and thanksgiving because people who, have, who feel they are entitled to something do not operate under the grace of God. They under, operate under what they deserve to get. They don't operate under the mercy of God, and they don't extend mercy to other people. They also don't operate under thanksgiving, because they are not giving thanks because they see what they don't have and are not thankful. In this area, I don't forgive because of a corrupted view of what I deserve. Now, we summed it up for you this way. Pride is who I am. Bitterness is what you did, and entitlement is what I get. (laughs) These are the things. Now, we're going to get a little more into entitlement today because uh, as we've been same pattern we did with the others, it doesn't do any good to identify it. And last week we were identifying, we were looking at Miriam and Aaron, how they, had, they felt entitled to things that Moses had. Well, we're just as good as he is. Well, we're just as spiritual. In Mark chapter 14, chapter 1, after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death, speaking of Jesus. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized, criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me... You do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now look, there were some who said, who were indignant among themselves. This is the key verse here, verse 4. There were some, when they saw what the woman did, there were some who were indignant. Where? Among themselves. Entite people who have the mentality of they are entitled to something flock around other people who have the same mentality. And if you are a person who does not have that mentality, they will avoid you. There were some who were indignant among themselves. They got around themselves and they began to talk about why this woman was wrong. Why Jesus was wrong for receiving it. Now, when you get around and you start talking about why this was wrong and why that was wrong, it starts to fan a flame, doesn't it? And it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. Folks, get out of that. If you get around that, just go. Just go. Just leave. You do not need to be around that. Well, I need to stay here and put out the fire. No, what you should you what should you do? <laughs> get out of the fire. When the firemen come to the burning house, what do they tell people to do? Get out. Don't go in the burning house. 
get out of the burning house. There's good reason to be outside of a burning house. And there's a good reason why firemen go into the burning house. You know why? They're trained. They're trained to keep the fire away from them. They are clothed to be able to keep the fire away from them. And they have masks to keep the fire away from them. They're prepared for it. They go into that burning building for the purpose of affecting the fire without the fire affecting them. But if you're just off the street, guess what? The fire can affect you. How many of y'all remember? It was years ago, but there was a after church one Sunday. We were missing somebody from the neighborhood over here. And so I said to my wife, said, you all go home. I'm going to go over and see what's going on. And so I went over to the house just in time to see the young man of the house. He was outside and on the phone. He was calling the fire department. There was a fire in his house. So um, I said, well, all right, go ahead and call them. I'm going to go back to the church and get the fire extinguishers. I came back to the church and got the fire extinguishers. Now, this is in the middle of winter. And uh, there was one, it must have been a cold day because I actually had a coat on. Yeah, it, is, it must have been a cold day. Because I remember I had the long gray coat on and I got, on, got the fire thing over. But I was in a suit, long gray coat, and I got the fire extinguisher. And I gave one to him and I took one and we went into the fire. So we went into the fire and the fire was in the stove. And I tell you, I've never seen black smoke like that in my life. It came out. It was nasty. It was thick. It was disturbing the air. And it disturbed you when you breathed it. So our goal was, let's keep the fire in the kitchen until the guys get here. <laughs> we didn't do so well. But we gave it a shot. But it wasn't too long. We heard the world of the fire engines and the fire truck pulled on up. And you know what they said to us? Get out! <laughs> get out of the fire. And then they went in to the fire, but they are ready for the fire because the fire was not going to affect them the way it was going to affect us. But you see, a lot of times Christians get the idea that, well, we need to be around here and help put out the fire. No, sometimes you just need to get out and get away. So they, talking among themselves, there were some, how many know that some equals more than you cannot have a discussion fanning the flame with one person. It takes at least two. So there were some who were indignant among themselves and said. Now, I want to tell you something about this. We just got into this conversation. I get into this conversation so many times because I often say to people or lead people to understand that not all sins are equal. And you know, if you've been brought up religiously, how many of you all know you brought up religiously, all sins are equal. Sin is sin. All sins are equal. That is false. That is a lie. All sins are not equal, folks. There are some sins that are greater than others. Thank God there's forgiveness. But don't think that all sins are equal. We've gone over it before. Any sin that involves you bringing another person down is greater than one that just brings you down. And I can go through and list for you, but we're not here to do that right now. What I want you to see is that and and said why was this fragrant oil wasted when you think a wrong thought who do you involve in your sin yourself when you say who do you involve with in your sin others it is one thing to think wrongly and it's another it'll hurt you but it's another thing to say wrong things because now you are hurting other people why be careful what you say James said be careful what you say be careful what comes out of your mouth well they said among themselves so we say when you think a thing you involve yourself when you say it to you say it you involve others so right now these people who are saying this do they not have something against the woman we don't even know if they ever met the woman before but now they have something against the woman who gave the oil, and they have something against Jesus who received it. They are indignant to the woman who gave it and to Jesus who received it. But what right do they have to be indignant or offended? Now, think about this. They don't own oil, do they? They didn't receive the oil. They gave nothing 
into this story. They received nothing. They gave nothing and they received nothing. It wasn't their idea. And they weren't consulted on it. They weren't asked to contribute or give in any way to the cost of the oil. They weren't asked to help apply the oil. But somehow they feel that they have a right to determine the use of the oil. When you get into an entitlement mentality, folks, you begin to feel that you have the right to determine the fate, the whereabouts, the uses of things you neither bought nor received. Do they have any right at all to do this? But they think they do. And they begin to talk about it amongst themselves so that other people begin to think that they do. Now, Jesus' words here, they say a lot. Look what he says. Let her alone. He defends the woman. Let her alone. It is tough around in people with entitlement mentalities to stand and defend the one they're attacked. A lot of people don't do it. Jesus, first off, defending the woman. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? In other words, what right do you have to get involved? You didn't own the oil. You didn't contribute the oil. You're not helping apply it. You're not receiving it. What right do you have? And sometimes, folks, we've got to ask ourselves the same thing. What right do we have to be involved? We're not the giver. We're not the receiver. If we find somebody, you know, sometimes the media gets out there, some minister received some expensive gift, a, a plane, a car, or whatever it was. And what do they do? They get indignant. What right did they have to give that? What right did they have to receive that? It could have been used for this purpose over here. Don't they do the exactly the same thing? And don't we sometimes side with them? <laughs> oh, we got to be careful. Because Jesus was not on their side. Why do you trouble her? What right do you have to get involved in this? She has done a good work for me. She states what good she has done. She's done a good work and she's done it for me. He goes on. For you have the poor with you always. Now, this is real important. Oh, I wish people could get hold of this. And whenever you wish, you may do good to them. <laughs> whenever you want to, you can take the oil you have and sell it. Whenever you want to, no one's stopping you. Go home, get your oil, sell it, give it to the poor. Go ahead. No one's stopping you from doing that. But this woman, she had her own oil. She paid for it herself. She didn't ask you to pay for it. And she decided what she's going to do with it. What right do people have to tell folks what they ought to do? We got this, I mean, the last couple of years we've seen all kinds of attacks being made. Corporate owners. What right do they have to fly in a plane? Dear Lord, what business is it of yours? Whether they fly in a plane, whether they fly on a helicopter, or whether they drive in a car. Is it any business of ours? We've got in this stories where, where certain people in the political are being scrutinized for what they bought their wife. Did they use your money? Did they give it to you? Did they ask your opinion? Is it his wife? Is it her husband? What difference does it make? Does anyone get involved when you buy a gift for your wife? Get involved when you buy a gift for your husband? That was too much? That was too little? No. So why do we feel that we have a right to do it to other people? We don't. But if you get into this entitlement mentality, well, I'm entitled to give my opinion. For the poor you have with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. Whenever you want to. Get out there and do them good. Whatever. Go ahead and do it. They're always with you. There's always poor people around. There's always people who can use some help. Go out there and help them. Whenever you want to. Go ahead and do it. Jesus is saying, that's a good thing. Go ahead. <laughs> Matthew 26 tells the story this way. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And the chief priests and scribes and the elders and the people assembled at the palace. High priest, uh, high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus, Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, we're not going to cover this part of the story, but I'll bet you can tell me, was Jesus taken during the feast? Oh, yeah? Go back and check it out. The feast was how long? Seven days. It was the first day of the feast that was a holiday. 
They said, we can't take him during the feast. But they did. Something changed, didn't it? Something happened that they weren't expecting. And when Jesus was in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head and he sat at the table. And when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this way? So the some now are his disciples. So now what we know is the some was not just the people that were there, but the some was his disciples. Now, it is possible that the some were more than his disciples, but we do know that more than one, everybody say more than one, of his disciples were involved. Because it said some, and some means more than one. We don't know that it was ten. We don't know it was five, but we know it was more than one. Some, but when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, look at how the story went. We first off talked about the plot the Pharisees had. We've got to try and get Jesus, but we can't do it during the feast. Then we have this incident come up. And then we go into verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. Both stories account Judas' betrayal going to the Pharisees right after this event. Both of them do. And when they heard it, they were glad... And promised to give him money. So he saw how he might, con- he might conveniently betray him. So they were glad. Why? Oh, this changes things. We first thought we couldn't do it during the feast. But now, if we can get him at a quiet time, we can make this work. And that's what they did. They were happy about this. But what is it that caused Judas to suddenly betray him? Because he came up with something against Jesus. It's not the first time. Because people, folks, who get this mentality have come through pride and or bitterness. He has already experienced these things. We already know he was already stealing from the money pot. You cannot steal from the treasury of Jesus and have a clean heart, can you? Something has already gotten in and corrupted him. But now this is an event that pushed him over. He had something against Jesus and that something against Jesus pushed him to even betray Jesus. Didn't cause the other ones to. They became indignant over it, but it caused Judas to go. And so Judas has this mentality. One place in the, in the story even tells us that he wanted the money because he was dipping into the till. And that would have given him more money to steal. So now he feels that he was ripped off. Can you believe that people can get that idea? This money should have been sold, put in the treasury, and I could have had some of it. And since I didn't, I'm going to go over to the chief priest and I'm going to get that money back. And he did. He went over to the chief priest and he turned Jesus over. All right. So we identify the problem again in another person. I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 20 because this is all about overcoming it. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. Asking what? Something. Something. And he said to her, what do you wish? So she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in the kingdom of God. How many moms we have? How many all have two sons? Anybody have two sons? How many would like to go to Jesus and say, I got two sons. Would you put one on your right and then one on your left? Would you like to be on Jesus' right hand? Would that be cool? Yeah, I'd be all right, huh? You wouldn't turn that down, would you? I wouldn't turn that down. I mean, this is a cool thing. That if you're Jesus is sitting on the throne, and you get to sit next to Jesus on the throne on his right hand, that'd be cool, huh? <laughs> so she's got two sons, and Jesus has two hands. She thinks this is this works. One on the right and one on the left. Now, look, I'm not going to decide which one goes on the right. I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> She's not deciding that one. She doesn't want to get involved in that. Because that would be, you know, John would say, if she, if she said John, I told you I was the favorite. So she just comes and she asks him to do that. And Jesus doesn't dismiss her. How many of you think Jesus just say, what? But Jesus doesn't do that. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. You don't know what you ask. He didn't say it wasn't possible, did he? 
You don't know what you're asked. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. They can do it. Mm-hmm. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I, may be, I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. Now think about this from John and, and James' standpoint. Jesus is saying, all right, in order to do that, you have to be able to drink from my cup. Are you going to be able to do that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, you can go ahead and drink from my cup, but I'm not sure if you're going to get that yet. <laughs> Somebody think, wait a minute. Let's go back on this. I don't know if I want the cup now. You indeed drink from my cup, be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but the sin of my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. So apparently mom was on to something. It's possible. Someone's going to sit there. But again, there's only two seats. I kind of thought Jesus was sitting at the right hand of the Father, which means that takes up the left-hand side. Only leaves one side going. <laughs> so I'm not sure how that one's going to go. It is for him who is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. What's another way to say that? They had something against them. <laughs> they had anything against anyone. So, mom asks for something for her sons. And what's interesting is here is that mom thinks that her sons deserve it. Now, she does not say this privately. She says this in front of them. Because they heard it. So, she thinks that she has enough evidence about her two boys to say they are head and shoulders among the other ten and that they deserve to be at the right and the left. I mean, Peter, he's been nothing but trouble. He's done some good things, but he's been a whole lot of trouble too. James and John, no trouble at all. I mean, John, you like him a lot. He just He's always next to you. He's a disciple that Jesus loved. Yes, we know that from John. John tells us about that. So she feels that this is, this is she feels that her sons deserve this, doesn't she? And that the other ten don't. And so the other ten, may, they may or may not have been thinking about this. But if they had thought about it, or if they had not, now they're thinking about it. And they're thinking, wait a minute, James and John? I'm better than James and... Why aren't you going to pick me? I'd like to be picked. I, I, I want to get somebody else to, to, to pick me to do that. You wouldn't like it if somebody didn't pick you for the thing, would you? If they picked one, two, three, and left you out, what'd you think? Why'd you pick me? I'm just as good. <laughs> isn't that isn't that right? You wouldn't mind if you got picked, though, would you? That'd be okay. Yeah. How many would get picked? Be first in line for dinner. Yeah. First in line. Get first pick. Get to start eating sooner. Mm. Get to dessert that much quicker. This is good. So now we had it first off. The two felt like they deserved it. It's our spot. We, they should be ours. And then the ten started to work in there. No, it's not yours. We should get it. And they're about to have a fight. We think we should. What right, right do you have to asking this thing? Getting your mom to going up to Jesus. What's up with that? So they, uh, they react so well. But look what Jesus does. Then Jesus called them to himself. Remember what we're after? What is the cure for this? Well, you identified it. And I hope some of you did some meditating on it during the week. That this attitude you can find all over in Scripture. But Jesus called them to himself and said, in other words, saying, come on, guys, come here. Come here. You know, when they're at home and the kids are fighting amongst themselves, what do you do? Come here. Come on around. We need to have a talk. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles loitered over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Why is he talking about this? Because they want a position of greatness, because they see it as potential power. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great. Understand this, folks. If you have an attitude that says, well, I don't want to be the greatest in the kingdom. I'll be happy to just take a small room in the back area and 
little tiny yard. It's just fine with me. I'm not going to get prideful and all that. If Jesus didn't want you to become great in the kingdom of God, He would not teach you how to do it. You don't teach what you don't want people to do. Right? You ever see that little disclaimer they do in some of the commercials? Don't try this at home. Then don't teach me how to do it. Because if you teach me how to do it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it. Because if you did it, I can do it. I'm just as good as you. Surely I can do it. Whoever desires, it is not wrong to desire to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. To be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his, ran- his life a ransom for many. So he teaches them something to help them with what they're going through. I want to read this for you from Mark. This is the same story. And there is just one small difference in wording. But Jesus called them to himself and said, verse, uh, Mark 10, verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Now, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Slight difference in wording, but I want you to look at this. First off, just as. In other words, Jesus is our model. Just as. Just as. What was that movie that came out about Michael Jordan? Like Mike or something like that? Because what's the, what was the goal of basketball players? To become just like Mike. Because he's good. He was good. But over here in Mark, for even. That changes the meaning just slightly. First off, Jesus is our example. Secondly, for even. In other words, that right is not even assumed by the Son of God. If he does not assume that right, why do you? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for for many. Jesus sees the problem brewing and gives the remedy, teaching them that the mentality of a servant. He sees the problem brewing with the disciples and he gives the remedy. He's teaching them the mentality of a servant. If you get wrapped up into an entitlement mentality. Bitterness has come in and or pride has come in and you feel you earned or deserved certain things and they need to be given to you. You have left the mentality of a servant and you have taken up the mentality of the world which is to be served. Because our goal in the world is to become great So that others serve us. The mentality of the kingdom of God is to become great by serving others. And people who fall into this entitlement mentality do not serve without a reason, without a motive. Oh, I'll serve as long as I get something. And that's not what Jesus is teaching. When an entitlement mindset comes upon a person, their model is no longer Jesus, but those who receive something more or better. Listen to their words. We don't go, well, Jesus did it this way. Well, Jesus, well, he didn't even, we don't go to Jesus. What do we do? Well, brother so-and-so got one. Well, sister so-and-so, that happened for her. Well, God this did this for brother or sister so-and-so. Why should he do it for me? I'm entitled. God should do this. No, no, no. Serve 
Servant mentality means when other people get something, what are you? Happy. Glory to God. <laughs> look what they got. Oh, that's so neat. Can I look at it? Oh, man, you're going to look good behind that. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. And we're just happy. We're not, we're not getting into this. There's no bitterness coming in. But you see, the enemy wants to try and sow some bitterness. How come you didn't get that? How come that didn't come your way? How come no one poured out oil for you? How come they didn't sell it and give it to here? Why didn't they do that? Get this. What I, what I can give and do for others, when we fall into this, what I can give, what I can. Not what I can. I'm looking at what I can. I can only give what I have. We've talked about that before. What I can give and do for others has been replaced with what I can get and receive for myself. When you get into this mentality, and again, there's different depths to it. You don't get all into it all at one time. You get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you get into that, instead of looking at what I can give and do for others, it's replaced with what I can get and receive for myself. Does that sound good? This is the plan of the enemy. If he can get you to be doing this sort of thing, he gets you out of the blessings of God. He gets you out from the grace of God. He gets you out of the joy of God. He gets you out of place, the place of being humble. When we get right to the core, an entitlement mindset is nothing more than selfishness in a new coat. It is nothing more than selfishness in a new coat. may look good for a while, but it's still selfishness is underneath. Now, we said we want to look at the cure of this thing. How do we get cured of this? The cure becomes servants and not masters. We've got to become servants. I've got to, ad- to adopt a mentality that says, I will serve. But the thing that we're doing when we serve is we are not serving man. This is the problem. If the, the devil can come in and corrupt people who are servants by getting them to stop serving God and start serving people. It's a subtle change. But once you make the change, once you make the subtle change, and you begin to serve people, you will wear out in a short bit of time. Because people will disappoint you. People will let you down. And then you'll stop serving people because the people don't appreciate it. Who are you serving? Jesus taught us, whatever you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. You serve God. We serve God by serving people. As long as I keep the mentality of a servant that I am serving God by serving people, then no matter how many times they disappoint me, I don't get discouraged because I'm serving God. Does God let us down? Does God disappoint does God stab us in the back? No, but people can. That's all right. I serve God. How do I serve God? By serving people. That's how we do it. So if, he, if the devil can't get you to stop serving people, he'll get you to stop serving people for the right reasons. You can still serve people, but now you serve them for the wrong reasons because then he knows you'll wear out. You'll wear out in no time. Become servants, not masters. That's the first thing you've got to do. Become servants, not masters. Now, this is an attitude adjustment, not a works one. It is an attitude adjustment. It is not a works one. It is not that you have to go out and become a doormat for everybody and let everybody walk all over you. It is an attitude adjustment. Father God, I serve you by serving people. What would you have me to do? And God says, I want you to do, go over here and do this. Serve this one over here. Just remember, you're serving me. You're serving me. Yes, sir. And we go over there and the people don't appreciate it. What do we do? So I keep going? Yeah, yeah, keep on. Go on over here and do, the, do it again. Okay. We're serving people by serving, through serving God. I serve God right through serving you guys. You do the same thing. And so we keep working for the kingdom of God. How about if you go out there and share Jesus with somebody and they slap you upside the face? What should you do? Well, I'm not going to share Jesus with anyone else. This world is... Just, uh, <laughs> no, what do we do? Father God, I serve in you. They slapped me for it. That's all right. I'm still going to serve you. 
And we're just smiling. We're just full of joy because we're thankful because bitterness is not getting in. Pride is not getting in. And we are not getting to this place where I don't deserve that. I'm not enti- I'm entitled to something better. We don't get into that. It's an attitude adjustment. It's not a works one. And this third one, Jesus is forever our model. Get this. Oh, please get this. Jesus is forever our model, not other people. We've got to stop with this thing going into prayer. How many times have we gone into prayer? Don't raise your hand. Use your inside in. How many times have we gone to prayer and said things to God like, Oh, God, I don't understand why you did this for so-and-so and not for me. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You should go to prayer and say, Father God, they got a new car. Oh, that is so good. Father God, they got a new job. Oh, it's paying better than their old job. That is so good. I am so glad. You go in there and you'll be thankful. Oh, Father God, they got healed of that thing. Oh, that is so good. Oh, we're just happy. Happy, happy, happy. But what does the devil want us to do? But you didn't get this. You didn't get this. And they didn't do this. And what about this? Don't do it. He's trying to get you into this entitlement mentality. If he can get you into this entitlement mentality, it is tough to get you out. He knows it. And God put up all kinds of stuff out there. When he saw his disciples bickering about this and falling into this mentality, he came right out and addressed it. If you follow what Jesus said to do, you will never get into this. Never. If you follow what Jesus says to do, you will never get into this. I was talking with a lady this week. There's an old customer of ours from making bunk beds. She called me up. She, uh, she's in ministry as well. Her and her husband are in youth ministry down in the city. And in the course of their ministry, they brought some people over and one particular person brought into their house bed bugs. And they got into everything. They had to throw stuff away. And she said it cost us $4,000 to clean the place out because bed bugs got in. And so she... She was talking to the people who came in to do the spraying for the bunk beds and to disinfect the house and to do all the stuff that had to be done with that. And, they, and she said to him, it was a great question to ask, and I was so glad she passed it on to me. She said, how come you guys go into houses that are infested with bed bugs and you come out of there and go home and you don't have any trouble? And I said, oh, it's easy. These clothes that we're wearing... These are special clothes. They are treated with a special treatment. And the bed bugs can't attach themselves to it. If they leap on us, they fall right off. <laughs> They're bed bug proof. Isn't that cool? Bed bug proof. You know what? God wants to make you pride, bitterness, and entitlement proof. That when this stuff tries to get itself on you, it just falls right off. <laughs> it just falls right off goes away. It can't attach itself to you. It can attach itself to you if you start thinking on things like, I deserve to have that. I should have that. Now, you kids are in here at the service with us this, this morning. Here's a thing you can, you little kids can relate to. Mom just made a fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies. Ah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, I, I know it. I feel it too. There is nothing like a house with chocolate cookies chocolate chip cookies being baked because that whole house smells like chocolate chip cookies. And there is, there is no, nothing you can buy in the store that is anywhere near as good as hot from the oven. Chocolate chip cookies. Now, I know that today they make it real easy for you. You come in a roll, you slice them up, you put them on the thing, you're all done. And I don't know how many of you moms did it, but I know when we were growing up, we used to put the flour that we sifted through the sifter and then mixed in the sugar and the vanilla and the butter and all the other stuff that you, that you put in. And we turned on the mixer and it mixed it all up. And then we took the balls, made balls for, of cookies, and we put them on the cookie sheet and we put them into the oven. And when we're all done, there was always something left on the beaters. And so, you know, the, whoever was uh, us kids that were over there doing it, we would battle over who deserved to get the beaters. 
And so if there was two of us, you know, it was real easy. Just one, one, just my sister and I, both of us, we each got one. But then there's also the bowl. No one should ever just put the bowl into the sink. That bowl needs to be cleaned out. <laughs> Thoroughly. And we, I mean, chocolate chip cookies, whether they're cooked or not, are good. They are good. And so we would clean out the bowl. And then we would clean off the thing we used to clean out the bowl. So that there was no chocolate chip cookie batter that ever made it to our sink. We cleaned it all out. And then you'd smell them cooking and cooking. Now, when is the best time to eat a fresh made chocolate chip cookie? When they're right, you know it, right out of the oven, right? Right out of the oven. But how many moms are out there denied us kids the ability to eat the fresh out of the oven chocolate chip cookies because it wasn't dinner time yet? And you had to wait until dinner was over and then eat the chocolate chip cookies, but they're not hot anymore. They were hot before. Do you like hot chocolate chip cookies? No? Then we wouldn't have any problem with you and me. We would get along fine. Because I'd eat the hot ones and you could have the cold ones. But they're hot now. And you can get a mentality that says, I deserve to have these chocolate chip cookies now. And mom would leave the room. What would we do? They're just sitting there. We're going over there and we would sneak a chocolate chip cookie because we felt like we deserved it. And if mom found out and punished us, what happened? Yes, I was wrong. Is that what we do? No. Why are you punishing me? I worked hard. I helped you. I cleaned out the bowl. I deserve a hot chocolate chip cookie. Don't we? But it's the same thing, folks. We look at the works. We look at the things that we have done for God. And we say, I deserve. I deserve to be healed. Healing does not come because of your works. It comes because of God's mercy and grace. I deserve to be forgiven. Forgiveness does not come because of your works. It comes because of His mercy and grace. I deserve a promotion. I deserve the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be at work in me. I deserve revelation. I deserve a vision, a dream, something. Because look at what I've done. Look at how hard I've worked. Look at all these things. And then we see somebody else get that. And then we get indignant. They get a dream. I didn't get a dream. They got a dream. I've been doing more for God than that person. They get a dream. I don't get a dream. I go to bed at night. I don't get dreams. I wake up in the morning. I don't remember nothing. They get a dream from God. I'm sure Joseph's brothers are over there thinking, he gets dreams. Why does God talk to him in dreams? We work harder than he does. He's over there supervising. We're doing the work. We begin to think this way. We begin to get involved. And it begins to drive barriers between people and the body of Christ. And we shouldn't have this. I want to read to you a story. This is from Max Licato, his book, In the Grip of Grace. Anybody read that? If you read it, you may know this part of the story. God has enlisted us in His Navy and placed us on His ship. The boat has one purpose, to carry us safely to the other shore. This is no cruise ship. It is a battleship. We aren't called to a life of leisure. We are called to a life of service. <laughs> oh, still on that one. Each of us has a different task. Some concerned with those who are drowning are snatching people from the water. Others are occupied with the enemy so that they... Man the canons of prayer and worship. Still others devote themselves to the crew, feeding and training the crew members. Though different, we are the same. Each can tell of a personal encounter with the captain, for each has received a personal call. He found us among the shanties of the seaport and invited us to follow him. Our faith has born, was born at the sight of his fondness, and so we went. We each followed him across the gangplank of his grace onto the same boat. There is one captain... And one destination. Through the though the battle is fierce, the boat is safe, for our captain is God. The ship will not sink, for that there is no concern. There is concern, however, regarding the disharmony of the crew. When we first boarded, we assumed the crew was made up of others like us. But as we've wandered through these decks, we've discovered, we've encountered curious converts with curious appearances. 
Some wear uniforms we've never seen, sporting styles we've never witnessed. Why do you look that way? We ask. Funny, they replied, we were about to ask the same of you. The variety of dress is not nearly as disturbing as the plethora of opinions. There is a group, for example, who clusters every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions. Serving the captain is serious business, they explain. It's no coincidence that they tend to congregate around the stern. There's another regiment deeply devoted to prayer. Not only do they believe in prayer, but they believe in prayer by kneeling. For that reason, you always know where to locate them. They are at the bow of the ship. And then there are a few who staunchly believe real wine should be used in the Lord's Supper. You'll find them on the port side. Still another group has positioned themselves near the engine. They spend hours examining the nuts and bolts of the boat. They've been known to go below deck and not come up for days. They occasionally are criticized by those who linger on the top deck, feeling the wind in their hair and the sun in their face. It's not what you learn, these top sides argue. It's what you feel that matters. And oh, how we tend to cluster. Some think once you're on the boat, you can't get off. Others say you'd be foolish to go overboard, but the choice is yours. Some believe you volunteer for service. Others believe you were destined for the service before the ship was even built. Some predict a storm of great tribulation will strike before we dock. Others say it won't until after we safely ashore. There are those who speak to the captain in a personal language. There are those who sing such languages are, say such languages are extinct. There are those who think the officers should wear robes. There are those who think there should be no officers at all. There are those who think we are all officers and should all wear robes. And oh, how we tend to cluster. And then there is the issue of weekly meeting at which the captain is thanked for his words and his words are read. All agree on its importance, but few agree on its nature. Some want it loud, others quiet, some want ritual, some spontaneity. Some want to celebrate so they can meditate, others meditate so they can celebrate. Some want a meeting for those who've gone overboard, others want to reach those overboard but without going overboard and neglect those on board. And oh, how we tend to cluster. The consequence is a rocky boat. There is trouble on deck. Fights have broken out. Sailors have refused to speak to each other. There have even been times when one group refused to acknowledge the presence of others on the ship. Most tragically, some adrift at sea have chosen not to board the boat because of the quarreling of the sailors. Oh, how we tend to cluster. When we let this entitlement mentality get in, Jesus is no longer our example. He's no longer our model. We look at what others have and why we should have just as much or more. We compare our works with their works. We compare our lives and our knowledge of the Word with their lives and their knowledge of the Word. And every time we come up better than they do. And every time we feel we deserve to have more than we've been given. It's a tactic of the enemy. He wants to get you into pride. He wants you to get into bitterness. And above all, he wants you to get to this mentality that you deserve what you don't have. He wants to get you thinking about, I deserve what I don't have. And as long as he can get you thinking about that, you're no longer thankful. You're no longer receiving the grace of God. And your life will never be as the Master intended. Your prayers will be hindered because when you meet somebody for the first time who walks into a room and opens up oil that belongs to her and pours it on someone else anointing them for their burial, you can become offended and you've never met them before. You've never seen them. People who have this mentality can get easily offended from people that they know and people that they don't know. That's not what God wants. He wants your prayers to be answered. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants you to receive forgiveness the moment you ask. But He needs you to stay out of this attitude. The way out is to be a servant. You serve other people, but you do it because you're serving God. He's your reason. Jesus is your model. Other people are not the model. What other people have or how they got there or what they did, it's not your model. It's not your need. Your need is to serve Jesus. He's the captain.
We're all in the ship together. We may as well get along. <laughs> Not that we are. Just talking about the church body as a whole. But all oh, how the devil wants to come in and put those things in there. And we're not done with this part yet. Not done with this one yet. We've got one more story to look at that I'll bet as you were meditating on this and thinking about it, this is probably not one of the stories that you saw entitlement in. We're going to show you where the entitlement is in this story. Because here's what we've done. We've identified the entitlement. We've talked today about how you can overcome it. Now, one more thing we want to deal with. How many of you deal with people who have the mentality of entitlement? Wouldn't you like to know what the Word says about how to deal with those people? <laughs> it's one thing to deal with it with yourself. How do you deal with other people who have the entitlement mentality? So we'll cover that next week because we have a story that tells us exactly how to do it. Glory to God for that. Would you all stand up? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we just give you the praise and the glory today. We thank you, Lord, that we do not get what we deserve. For what we deserve is hell. Eternal punishment. But we don't get that. We get life instead because Jesus decided to pay the penalty that he didn't deserve to pay. He decided to take sin on his body that he didn't deserve to have. Because He wanted to give us something that we did not deserve. Something that we did not earn. But He said, I want to give it to you. We're entering into the Christmas season. Christmas is all about the gift of Jesus Christ. You gave Your Son so that we might live. Oh, we thank You for that. We give You the praise and the glory for it. We thank You, Father. That we don't get what we deserve we get what you wanted to give us. And just as Christmas time comes and many times we receive gifts we didn't deserve, but we need to just receive them and be thankful. And we want to do that here today. With your head still bowed, eyes still closed, if you're here today and said, yep, I got that entitlement mentality on me. I've approached God in such a way as to what I deserve to have instead of looking at things through His grace and His mercy and being thankful. And I want to get rid of that. Larry head bowed. People aren't looking around to see what you're doing or thinking about themselves. Raise your hand. I want to get rid of this entitlement mentality. I'm going to go to war against this. I'm not letting this entitlement hold on to me. I'm going to walk in the grace of God. Just raise your hand as we pray here today. If you're here today and you say, boy, God has given us all that, I want to walk in that. And you have not walked yet in the salvation of Jesus. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity here this morning. If you want to receive Jesus, raise your hand. I want to receive Jesus. Be my Savior. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you. You are good. You are so good to us. You see the hands that are raised for the things that they raised them for. You know our hearts. You know what we've been through. I thank you, Father, that you are here to give us help. We can overcome pride, bitterness, and entitlement. Thinking that we deserve certain things. Not seeing that we've been spared from what we deserve. Father, I thank you that you help us with that mentality and to adapt the mentality of a servant. I am here to serve God by serving others. And every time people let me down, I can just simply go to God and say, Father God, I am here to serve you by serving others. As long as I am here on this earth, I will serve you by serving others. No matter how much they let me down, disappoint me, I will serve you by serving others. I will maintain that servant mentality that says, no, I, I don't deserve anything. I didn't get anything that I deserve. I just am so thankful for everything that God has blessed me with. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We won't let these feelings, these thoughts come in and erode the grace, the mercy, and the thankfulness that should be in us. 
Thank you, Father, for how your word identifies the tactics of the enemy, that we can be prepared, that you make us bunk bed bug proof, that bed bugs will not come on us, <laughs> sin will not come on us, these thoughts, these feelings, pride, bitterness, entitlement, they may come at us, but they will fall off. They will fall off. Thank you, Father, for it. In the 